I believe that what we become depends on what our fathers teach us at odd moments. When they aren't trying to teach us, we are formed by little scraps of wisdom. Umberto Echo, Foucault's Pendulum. You are listening to Sonic Dawn. Tonight's story is the continuation of The Kill by Steve E. Dominguez II. I'm not going to lie, I wasn't sure if I was dead for a long time. When I awoke, the thing that let me know I was still alive wasn't the wound in my leg, but my cracked throat. I was propped against a tree, the smoking remains of the cabin before me. Ash was dropping out of the air, coating everything in a white film. I heard voices nearby. I turned my head toward the noise, the muscles in my neck cracking. The kids were crouched on a rock, a splayed corpse of some small rodent between them. A cooking fire pulsed in the twilight nearby. I tried to speak out, but my voice rasped in the ghost of words, dead in my throat. I looked around and saw a few bundles near me, covered in white ash. I grabbed a familiar-looking cylinder nearest to me and felt relief at the slosh of liquid. I twisted the cap off the canister and poured the water down my throat. I retched. The sense in my nose confused at the familiar smell. It was kerosene, something too rare in this world. My empty stomach heaved and the girl ran over, shouting something at me. Her bloody hands grabbed the canister and twisted the cap back on. I passed out again. Our house was clean. The dust and grit that interlaced itself with our lives was absent in a way that felt real. It felt normal. My daughter ran into the room. I was laying on our sleeping mat, and she bounded into the air, a pirouette of golden hair and flailing legs, her smile a shining singularity. My wife followed her in, the sun shining beneath her, obscuring her features and sharpening her outline, a knife's edge of reality. She leaned on the doorframe, her arms folded, a silent figure watching over us. I picked up the little flailing thing and hoisted her over my shoulders. Her screams of delight filled my senses. The sky opened up. Rain. Clean water fell on us. In that moment, life was perfect. Cool, clean water washed over me, and I awoke, expecting the pleasant dream to fade into nothingness. My world remained damp. However, I opened my mouth before I opened my eyes. Water. Cool, fresh water. Slow. Go slow or you'll throw up. I grabbed the bottle that was held to my lips and took a small sip and opened my eyes. The barrel of my rifle stared back at me. My muscles jumped as adrenaline surged. You're going to take us to Tinkerton. The unfamiliar girl said, her eyes stern. You burned down our house. You owe us. A note of irritation came through her shaky voice. Put that down before you hurt yourself, I rasped, the words rising from my quenched throat. 
She responded by working the bolt, chambering around. The barrel didn't lose its aim. If you're going to be trouble, I'll put the bullet in your head. We need to leave. You'll be our bodyguard, and we'll let you free at Tinkerton. What do I get out of this arrangement? Your life. Who are you? That's not part of the deal. Fine. But I'm not going to be much help with my screwed up leg. Tom! Come here. Bring the medicine. Calling the cauterizing chemical burn a painful experience would be dishonest. The next day we moved on. The wound sealed. And an amber bottle in my hand. It helped. A little. The asphalt was still visible, under the thick layer of dirt and weeds. Patches poked out, gasping for air in the drowning world. Potholes became ecosystems. My pack was heavy on my back, my useless rifle slung on my shoulder. It had been neutered, my remaining bullets sequestered by the girl. I was using a stick I found as a crutch. The bottle had run dry. The kids followed behind me, each of them shouldering their own packs. The canister of kerosene I had almost ruined was hidden from view. We had been traveling for a week, following the road during the day and camping in the ditch on the side of the road at night. The kids seemed to be experienced travelers. They caught and gutted their food, made use of nearby streams, and kept watch even when I said I could take a turn. Tenacious was too kind of a word. We hid from the travelers that we crossed paths with. I had used this road in the past. It was the busiest trade road in the wasteland. Two people in seven days. The world had moved on. We walked through the desert, the stretch that ended the forest, and promised death if you weren't prepared. Our water containers had started full, but became light at an alarming rate. This was a journey I would have feared had I not been injured, concussed, and followed by children. A cloud of dust kicked up in the distance. Sandstorms were no stranger here. I pulled a long stretch of cloth and scratched goggles from my pack. I put on the goggles and wrapped my head in preparation. The kids looked at me and at each other. They hadn't expected this. Perhaps they weren't as experienced as I had thought. We walked on, and the dust cloud got bigger. It was the only movement in the desert. It came straight for us. The plume was unnatural. The sandstorms were never this focused. The ground vibrated. No, I thought, not here. They'd be crazy to try. Get off the road, I said, my voice not asking. Is that storm off now? The vibration turned to a roar. The dust storm drove straight at us. I turned, dropped my walking stick, grabbed the kids by their packs, forcing them to follow. Wait, why? The question died on the girl's lips as the beasts came into view. It was a vehicle, a car of sorts. I remembered seeing them in Tinkerton once. They built and raced them in an arena. The rich owned the drivers, the gladiators of this new world. The steel horror bounced its way through the potholes, armor clanging at speed. Sharpened steel spikes and fins sliced and whistled through the desert air. The noise was deafening. The boy held his ears. Then it was gone, and we were in the dust cloud. The kids coughed and choked. I waited and watched. The dust devil drove on, hiding the suicidal monstrosity. There was no way it had enough fuel to get to the farms, the next major settlement on the road. The speed they were going was much too fast. Were they being chased? It almost seemed like... Look, another one! The boy had cleared his eyes 
was pointing down the road. There was another vehicle. This wasn't one of the gladiator cars. It had two searchlights on its roof, which were lit and streaking through the dust cloud. A platform on its back end. The frame was much lower to the ground, and it had two metal panels welded to the front, angled to push anything out of its way. One of the lights swiveled and shone in my eyes. A loud screech sounded as the car decelerated, the driver twisting the wheel. The car slid on the dust and dirt until it was facing the direction from which it came. I unslung the rifle from my pack and jerked open the bolt. I looked at the girl with my hands extended. Bullets, now! She nodded, her eyes wide, and started digging through her pack. You there, stop! Drop your weapons! The sound came from the car, an amplified voice hungry for blood. If they couldn't catch their prey, they didn't want to come back empty-handed. The girl held out her hands with my remaining rounds. I grabbed her small fist in my hand. I nodded at her brother. Run, was all I said. She sprinted away, grabbing Tom as she went. I dropped my pack and limped into the middle of the road. I tore the goggles from my face and I let my head wrap fall to my neck. One end came loose and flapped listless in the hot breeze. I chambered around and aimed at the car. There was no glass for the windshield. A hammered piece of rusted metal, which two holes chomped out, were all that showed in my scope. I aimed through the dark right hole. From what I remembered, that's where the driver sat. I fired. The vehicle backed forward and drove straight at me. Dirt spit up from its rear wheels. I kneeled and worked the bolt. Two bullets left. I aimed again and fired. The bullet plinked on the metal shield. Still, the vehicle came. I chambered my last bullet and risked a look at the kids. I saw shapes bouncing in the distance. I flattened myself on the ground and aimed one last time. The vehicle was almost upon me. Even if this worked, I wouldn't survive. But the kids had a chance. I aimed for one of the tires beneath the wedge of metal. The black rubber loomed large in my scope. I fired. The tire exploded, and the front end of the vehicle dipped. The metal wedge struck a pothole and stuck. I watched as the back end of the rusted steel frame rose up and twisted sideways. The vehicle flipped, missing me by inches, and slammed into the road. It rolled, shedding rust and spikes like a bird's feathers shot from the air. The crunch of the metal, the vibration from the ground, and the amplified screams are things that I will never forget. I picked myself up and used my spent rifle as a crutch. I followed the scraps of metal, pieces of mechanical parts, and various colored fluids to the vehicle. It had rolled back onto its three remaining wheels. The cab where the driver should have been was crushed, flush with the rear platform. It was quiet. The only noise I heard was from the cooling metal and dripping liquid. A black ooze pooled under the vehicle. I tapped on the door with my rifle. No reply. I sighed. Such destruction. Such death. I turned to where the kids had been running. They were looking back at me, in each other's arms. I waved them over. We walked in silence until dusk. The next morning we moved on, towards Tinkerton. The girl held my right hand, the boy my left. We comforted each other. Her name was Barbara. His name was Thomas. 
When they asked me what my name was, I considered telling them one of my aliases I had used since my family had been burned, murdered. In the end, I'd stayed quiet. Thomas spoke first. Are you our new dad? I looked down at his hopeful face, the pain behind his aged eyes. I considered telling him the truth that his father abandoned him and he'd never be seen again. I thought about how I had been taken prisoner at gunpoint from his sister. I thought about the harsh realities of the world that stood against these two like a tidal wave. I squeezed his hand, and we kept walking. Hey, what's going on, everyone? I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Tonight's episode is written by Steve Dominguez. If you want to see more of his stuff, you can check out the Science Faction Podcast on the BS Podcast Network. And that's pretty much it. I hope you all enjoyed the show, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.